Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I cannot tell you how glad I am that it is February. Finally. On Friday, Trey sent a meme around to a bunch of us on the staff that just said, January was a long year, but we made it. And a lot of us are like, truth, preach. Just here around the church, it feels like an eternity since everyone on our staff was here at the same time. There has been illness and events and catching up on all the stuff that we couldn't do during the Christmas season and Advent. It's just felt like this relentless treadmill of catching up. And some of the busyness has been very exciting. Just this last week, Pastor Kathy and I were up in Montgomery, and we had the privilege of serving on the board of uh, our area of the Methodist Church that interviews people who are completing their journey towards ordination. And it was hard work, but it was also so encouraging, so invigorating to be a part of that journey with these folks who have come so far and who are facing the last step before they are ordained in the Methodist Church. A couple weeks before that, Tim Jackson was out for a few days. He was up in Montgomery for a retreat that officially begins his candidacy in Methodist ministry. And I can't tell you how much we are going to miss Tim, all his family when they moved to Tennessee this summer. But I also can't tell you what a gift it is that we get to be the church that sponsors his candidacy and launches him into the next step of all that God has ahead of him and his family. I remember what it was like when I was beginning my own candidacy for ordination, I remember feeling nervous at different points in the process. I especially felt nervous uh, when facing the interviews and the questions that are a part of the process. You never know what's going to get thrown at you. I remember that the most unsettling part of my candidacy was not when people were evaluating my preaching or my Bible studies or my doctrine or theology. No, for me, the most unsettling part was the psychological evaluation. See, when somebody asks me a question, I like to know the right answer. In the psyche vows, it often felt like there was no right answer, just some that were more wrong than others. What's your biggest fear? I don't know. What would be the right biggest fear for a preacher? I remember answering that question by saying, dying in a car crash that I cause, and then immediately wondering, what does that mean about me? What are you reading into that? If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Holy mackerel, I, what is the right superpower to desire? Comedian John Hodgman says you can learn everything you need to know about a person by giving them the choice between invisibility or flight. But if I could have any superpower, I think I would choose the spidey sense. You know, Spider-Man's sense of impending danger just lets him know when things are about to go haywire. I would like to have that superpower because I think it might keep me out of some of those car crashes. I expect that we could ask everyone in here, what superpower would you like? And we'd probably get 20 different answers at least. And I bet there is one power that none of us would choose. I bet many of us don't even believe that it's a superpower. I bet I could go through half of Mobile before someone would tell me, I wish I had the power to forgive. Forgiveness 
is the most underrated power in the world. And that explains why today's passage is one of the most underrated moments in all the New Testament. I expect there are a lot of us who have heard the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Maybe you've heard how he forgave those who were stoning him. Maybe you've heard before how there was a guy named Saul watching it all happen and nodding his head in approval. It's a pretty famous moment in the New Testament. But most of us don't appreciate its power. For most of us, it is an emotionally resonant moment. It's an example of great courage. But we don't always appreciate what changed in this moment. Stephen's martyrdom was a turning point in the history of the world and certainly in the history of the church. It was a revelation. Stephen is the one who reveals to us where Jesus is. We didn't know before this. The first, book of, the first chapter of the book of Acts, all we are told is that Jesus gathered all his disciples to him and he began to give them his final instructions and while he was speaking to them, he was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight. That's the exact quote from Acts chapter one. He was lifted up and a cloud hid him. Stephen was the first person to tell the rest of the story. Stephen was the one who saw the heavens opened and saw Jesus in the throne room of heaven ruling over everything with power above all, seated as the Lord of all. And that was the revelation that gave Stephen the power to become like Jesus, to do a miracle like Jesus had done with his final words as he looked at those who were killing him and Stephen said, Father, forgive them. And I expect there's somebody here who is desperate for that kind of power. There's somebody here who wishes they knew how to forgive. Someone who wishes they knew how to break the power of unforgiveness that has weighed like a chain on your heart for far too long. But I also expect there are a few of us, maybe even more of us, who don't think that forgiveness is any kind of power at all. There are some of us who read this passage and we think, well, that's nice. But that's not power. Power is the ability to do work. That's what my teacher told me in physics back in ninth grade. Power makes things change. Power is about getting control of things. When we read about Stephen, we aren't sure if his forgiveness made any difference. And we often wonder in our lives if forgiveness makes any difference whatsoever. We doubt the power of forgiveness so much that most of us do not want to forgive like Stephen did. We want to forgive after things have changed, not before. We say things like, well, if she says, I am sorry, if it feels like she really means it, then yeah, maybe I'll forgive. We look at Stephen speaking forgiveness while the stones are still flying toward him and we think, you've got it backwards, buddy. If we're honest, what most of us would like is not the power to forgive. What most of us would like is the power to convict. Give me that superpower. Give me the power to make others feel sorry for what they have done. Make them hurt like they have made others hurt. Make them feel the hurt that they have caused. If we don't have that power, then we suspect that forgiveness is no power at all. There's a part of us that might even suspect that forgiveness is weakness. 
It makes us into a doormat. It gets us taken advantage of. We don't think that forgiveness is power. It may be good, but it's not power. And that makes it hard for us to understand. It makes it hard for us to know and understand a God who is all-powerful and who would change the world by forgiving it. Hear me again. We cannot know God. We cannot know how God is all-powerful until we can accept that it is God's forgiveness that is the power that changed the world. If we were telling God how to save us, we might have chosen another superpower. We might have chosen fear. We might have said, Lord, call down 10,000 angels to your side to strike the fear of God into us and everyone else. Or we might have chosen amazement. We might have said, put yourself on top of the temple, throw yourself down, and then fly away unharmed. If you had the power of flight, Jesus, then we could believe. That would be amazing. Then we would worship you. But when the decisive moment came, when everything hung in the balance, the power that Jesus unleashed on the world was forgiveness. It's right there in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, from the same author as the one who wrote the book of Acts, the same person who told us of Stephen's death, tells us how Jesus looked down from the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We've got a couple weeks to go until Lent when we will walk with Jesus toward that cross. And for those couple weeks between now and Lent, we're going to be talking about the full power of forgiveness. Next week, we're going to talk about the power that comes with accepting that you are forgiven. And the week after that, we'll talk about the difference between forgiving and reconciling. We'll talk about how we forgive each other. We'll talk about the limits on our human forgiveness and we'll talk about the unlimited possibilities of God's own power. But today, the message I want us to walk away with is very simple. It is enough for us to know today that forgiveness is power. It is not weakness. It is not a nice courtesy. It is not about giving up, and it is not simply about letting go. The message is simple, but it is so very much at odds with how we live that I have to say it again and again. And if you walk away with nothing else, I want you to walk away convinced of this. Forgiveness is power. It is the power that changed the world. It is the power that Jesus unleashed on the cross. It is the power God uses to save us. It is how God changes us. Forgiveness is power, and we, the church, are meant to wield it as Stephen did. And power can be dangerous. So I need to give you a couple warnings before you run off to forgive people who don't want it. And I especially need to warn you about demanding that other people should forgive you. We are meant to be trained and practiced in forgiveness, and it takes practice. And one of the most respected Christian teachers and practitioners of forgiveness in our own age is a psychologist named Everett Worthington who began studying forgiveness after the, mother, the murder of his own mother shook his faith 
and called everything into question for him. Dr. Worthington was not sure he wanted to worship a God who could forgive a killer or expect him to forgive. And then he began to suspect he didn't really understand what forgiveness is or what it means. Dr. Worthington devoted his career to studying people who have practiced forgiveness in the aftermath of crimes and civil wars and the worst hurts you can imagine. And he even learned about forgiveness by experience, by learning how to forgive the man who took his mother's life. And along the way, Dr. Worthington not only learned what forgiveness is, but he learned what it is not. First, forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not about saying, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, I don't care. I mean, if there's no big deal, there's nothing to forgive. Forgiveness is not denial, which means that forgiveness doesn't need to pretend that there aren't real hurts that need real forgiveness. Second, forgiveness is not a single moment. Some people are able to forgive someone for a little while, but over time the old feelings of anger and resentment and fear and woundedness take them over again. And the greatest practitioners of forgiveness have to revisit their forgiveness. They don't often forget what they have suffered. And they don't forget how it has wounded them. And they learn what to do when the old pain rises up. They learn how to forgive it all over again. You remember that scene in The Incredibles? The great Disney classic about superpowers when the superpowered dad has to go back in training? The power is already given to him, but he's got to whip it into shape. Forgiveness is like that. We have to keep our superpower in shape. We don't get to use it one time and then walk away. And finally, forgiveness is not denial and it is not a moment. And this is really important. Forgiveness is not a trick. Forgiveness is not our way of manipulating others to get what we want from them. We forgive folks and we hope that they will be sorry for their actions, but we can't control whether that happens. Forgiveness changes things, but it doesn't always change them the way that we wanted to or in the time that we would have chosen. The truth is, forgiveness is so powerful and such an unlikely power in our world that we have no idea what kind of difference it can make. We have no idea because we do not wield it as powerfully as we should. And we have no idea because God can do things with our forgiveness that we never imagined. That guy Saul you heard about in the story, who was holding the coats when Stephen died, he didn't fall to his knees in the moment and say, oh, he forgives us, let's stop. He didn't put himself between Stephen and the stones. He didn't call off the execution. It's really hard to tell if Stephen's words made any difference at all, except that some of you know how the story ends. And maybe you've heard how Saul did fall on his knees later on a road to Damascus, and he changed his name to Paul. And maybe you know that Paul became a believer and then a preacher and then the author of half the New Testament. And honestly, I'm not sure that Stephen would have wanted things to go that far. I'm not sure he would have thought that Paul quite deserved that honor. I doubt even he, Stephen, could have imagined the full power 
of God's forgiveness. If we want to walk in God's power, we must learn to wield forgiveness. And I don't know what difference it might make. None of us has any idea. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.